We all love TV. We love to watch it with our eyes and hear it with our ears. We fall in love with the actors we see on the screen week after week. Sometimes a ton of people fall in love with those actors and the actor goes, whoa, people really fucking love me for saying those lines good in front of the camera. And then they call their agents, hey, did you notice a weirdly large number of people like me a weirdly lot? And the agent is all, oh wow. He's an Asian agent. He says, oh wow. Do the accent. <laughs> nope. I didn't notice that. Let me let me call my friend Herschel Mandenbaum at the record company and get you a record deal. And then another actor in the, on the same show our actor is in overhears that conversation. And he, they call their agent and is all, hey, listen, that jerky face I co-star with is getting a record deal. I'm going to need one or they'll become too popular. And then his agent calls his friend Shlomo Goldenbaum at another record company. Money is mailed to the stars. They sing pretty songs on the microphone. Baba boom. And before you know it, both these co-stars have albums out. Some of them make a splash, some of them suck hot balls, and everyone forgets about them. But no one ever takes them seriously. No one ever breaks down these works of art by television stars on their merits. Yeah, one may have sold more, but is the other better? I don't know. But today we're going to pit co-star against co-star in a singing song contest to the death. To the death! This is Beyond Yacht Rock, co-star deathmatch. Uh, this is Beyond Yacht Rock, the internet podcast that creates musical genres week after week and counts down the top songs in that genre. On the internet. Yep. But this week, this is episode 75, and we like to go wild on the fives. Wild on the fives. Diamond uh, anniversary show. So we're going to do what we talked about in the intro, and pit co-stars against each other. Um from TV shows. Yeah. Because the theme today is kind of TV, we thought that we'd bone throw... Wait, uh, hold on. Steve, we need to say our names. Ah, that's right. Hey, I'm J.D. Riznar. Hollywood Steve. Dave. Hunter. All right. Um, Hey, hey, speaking of diamond anniversary, this is a diamond of a song. Yeah, it is. What a gem. This is the theme to Thick of the Night by Alan Thicke. This is his talk show. So some TV stars had musical fame and then became TV stars. Take, for example, Mr. Alan Thicke here of Canada. In 1968, he released a song called Wondrous Bobby Orr about the hockey player. He also wrote and sang, yes, that is him singing the theme to different strokes. He also wrote the theme to Facts of Life, so if you haven't noticed already, Alan Thicke is a fucking genius. A lot of game show themes as yeah. well, like Joker's Wild and mm. some others I can't recall. God, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And so the original good. Wheel of Fortune theme Woo! song, that was him. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Um, so, um... He's also a best friend of the Yacht Rockers, having written the arguably yacht ballad Sarah, uh, stepping into the crossfire for Bill Champlin's uh, killer 1981 album Runaway. He's also Canadian. Yeah. Is Champlin Canadian? No, but David Foster's Canadian. That's how he... So is Alan Thicke. And Alan we have some other Canadians on the list today, too, but we're not going to hold it against them. Is um, Foster a hockey fan? Is that how they bond? He's Canadian. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um... Um, so, Alan Thicke was, he was even a TV writer, like Norman Lear hired him as a showrunner of that satirical talk show, Fernwood Tonight, you guys remember that one? I do They showed it on Nick at Night for a while, it's really funny, it's got Martin Mull and Fred Willard. Sounds funny. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a small town talk show, it was great. 
The um, comedy team of Mullard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of this random fame and, and talent with Alan Thicke led to his very own popular Canadian talk show called The Alan Thicke Show. He turned that into an American syndicated talk show, Thick of the Night, in 1983. I watched a little bit of Thick of the Night. Thick of the Night, there's something special about Thick of the Night. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Playboy uh, models on oh, yeah? Thick of the Night, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. Just um, hanging out. Man, Alan Thick was so fucking cool. He was handsome, too. Um, and yeah. his name, Alan Thick. Easy on the eyes. When uh, we were doing Ricky Dick's Rock Docs, I think I brought up, wouldn't it be great if it was Alan Thick's Rock Docs? Oh, yeah. Oh. Then, he, then he died. I'm glad that we didn't bank on him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Instead, we put all our money in you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the theme of the talk show. Um, and he brought on some of Champlin's bud, Jay Grade and David Foster, to write this theme with him. Uh, the show would only run for nine months, but those nine months, uh, he had enough time to book some of the greatest yacht performances of all time. Like, forget George Benson, Alan booked Bill Champlin, Jay Grade, and Steve Lukather to perform their smash hit, Turn Your Love Around. He was dialed in. Yeah, yeah. And here's the Playboy Playmate of, the, <laughs> of this week. Yeah. He also brought on the champ, Poop and Graydon, David Foster, and Tommy Funderbank to sing After the Love is Gone. Man. So, for fans of Yacht Rock, you gotta see these. He fucking brought in the bank? Yeah, yeah, you can Who find those on YouTube. Who brings in the bank? Thick. Thick in the bank. Let's see. <laughs> um, I'm gonna listen to this some more. It's so hot. Yeah. Um, oh, is that that sex move? Two in the pink, thick in the bank? <laughs> Gross, Steve. It's disgusting. Like, it's beautiful. It's human. It's human bodies interacting. It's beautiful. Of course, after Thick of the Night was canceled, Alan would get cast as Jason Seaver in the hit sitcom Growing oh. Pains, and finally become a bona fide American superstar. And sadly, 50 years after his career began with a hockey tribute, Alan Thick would die in a hockey rink playing a game, playing in a game with the Blurred Lines guy. Yep, yep. right so, here in Burbank, down the street. He helped that Blurred Eyes, Blurred Eyes, Blurry Eyes. Yeah, what lines? He, yeah, he helped that guy write songs too. I uh, I wrote about this on Twitter when he died. And I announced that Alan Thick, I proclaimed him Yacht Rock, <laughs> and we I, we I think we've been holding on to this one for a while for a special episode, but this one we'll have to do. Um, <laughs> and so I'm glad we're getting it, getting to this. The song rules. It's I think it's a bit of a hold the line, if you ask me. Oh, for sure. And leave it to Doctor C to remind us all that that sometimes we need to remember that the rock in Yacht Rock. Mm -hmm. You know, he always dispensed wisdom with the best of them, and I think he did it on this one. This is a hot track. Yeah, I hear some crossfire in there too. Maybe. The, definitely the, the the Sarah song on Bill Champlin's album that he co-wrote definitely has some crossfire to it. Yeah. Are we gonna are we gonna number this now, one? Uh, he, yeah, we should. He wrote he wrote the song on the uh, Runaway album, but the other like that the the name of people that wrote on that album is a who's who of holy fucking shit. It's uh, I wrote them down, but I already threw the paper on the floor. But it's like Loggins, I think we named them all. Lukather. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Listen. Let's give this a number. Um. I'm gonna give this a sixty. Seven. I'm giving it a 69 because this guy fucked. Yeah. <laughs> 70, 74. 63. All right. There you go. It's a Yacht Rock song. Somebody add that up. Yeah. Right. Somebody put that in the document. All right. Let's talk about our battle episode that we're doing here. Okay. So. Hey, Mr. Mr. Tamarine, man. Here's another, <laughs> another Canadian. 
Um, so a couple months ago, my buddy, my buddy, Mike McCafferty, had me on his podcast called I Just Want to Talk About Star Trek. And the theme was all the music the cast of Star Trek shows have recorded over the years. Like most pop culture notes, I've heard the incredible singing career of William Shatner here. This is him singing his rendition of Mr. Tambourine, if you would call it singing. Uh, Mr. Tambourine Man, not just Mr. Tambourine. This is a completely different song. It's yeah. filthy. You could have just paused for a while. Yeah. And then that's, that's, man. That's oh, yeah. A, I could have been... I was doing it Shatner style. Yeah. Like a, this is Mr. Tambourine Man. man. <laughs> um, so Dave introduced me to this, to William Shatner's singing career, uh, many, many years ago by giving me a CD called Putting the Shat into Shatner. <laughs> it was a, That CD was a goddamn jam. Yeah. And a birthday gift, if I recall. Probably. I don't remember. My terrible memory. Uh, so a couple years into the show, Star Trek, William Shatner released an album called The Transformed Man. And I guess he transformed from a man who sings over music into a man who talks over music. Sorry. It's, um, not, it's, not, as, it's not that good. It's special, but... So as a Transformer, then, he's a Decepticon. Yeah. <laughs> this is from 1968. I think... I think this is just him on an acid trip. Because this is basically this is a basically every terrible acid trip anybody's ever taken is this is him singing on this. Anyways, that's uh, I. I'm willing to bet two dollars that every single one of the uh, these actors would claim that uh, music was their first love mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about today, which uh, begs the question: Why aren't you a musician? And I'd say that uh, what we hear today is the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love his talking over style. It's it's like this forced thoughtfulness that no one's quite buying. Like like when Stallone wears glasses. <laughs> okay. I, one, I feel that's a Ray Tango burn. What? And. Uh, and I just want to be clear, I will not stand for it. So no more of that, all right? That's a specifically a Ray Tango burn. Genetics, Pee-wee. <laughs> all right, well, listen. Uh, this isn't the only guy in Star Trek who recorded music, of course. Um, Leonard Nimoy played Mr. Spock. Which was the uh, the B-side of that mix I gave you. Uh, yeah, yeah, Leonard Lee. Did you have a funny name for that B-side? No, I didn't put it on there. I just waited to see if you listened to it, and I, I don't think you did. I did. No, yeah. I definitely did. I heard Bilbo Baggins the whole night. Yeah. But this, <laughs> this is a super weird cover of Everybody's Talking uh, this, by this Harry Listen, J.D., I uh, just want you to know that uh, music was my first love, so I decided <laughs> to make this album. Oh. <laughs> Oof. Okay, so Nimoy got in the act as well. Um, uh, as you can hear, this is also not good. Uh, it's like a Vulcan trying to sing. Yeah. Even when he's not playing a Vulcan, it still sounds like a Vulcan well, he, trying to... He was only half Vulcan, so yeah, there was yeah. some sli- a little bit of emotion, and he okay. was fighting it back. Yeah. He had an album that was either called, uh, many, I think it was called The Many Sides of Spock or something, or The yeah. Many Sides of Leonard Nimoy, and like one, like there were four pictures, and two of them he was like very serious as Spock, and the other two he's facing in the other direction and smiling really yeah. big as Leonard Nimoy. Um, I would have made an argument for the Bilbo Baggins song on here, but I can only assume somebody's waiting to use it for their inspired by Lord of the Rings genre. But I will ask all the listeners to go and watch that video. It is a goddamned delight. Um, I just feel like this this song, everybody's heard Bilbo Baggins, yeah. but this is a special brand of shitty right here. Yeah, this is... Um, uh, Bilbo Baggins has like a casual like comedy aspect to it, like they're being silly. Whimsy. Yeah, a whim- whimsical folly. Yeah. Um, but this really sounds like he's taking himself seriously. Yeah. The big question tonight is, isn't going to be who did it better. It's going to be who did it less, less not worse. less not good. Yeah. Yeah. So the 
I think the uh, I think there's also the point where these albums and songs are a dick measuring contest. Also, like who's the bigger star here? Uh, since they clearly have no respect for the mu- for the music, and, and it's just a means to a narcissistic end. Uh, there's an inherent competition going on in all of these albums, um, and we'll finally put to rest who won. Uh, so they can all settle, settle their $2 bets that they made with each other. <laughs> um, so today we're going to take uh, two songs by co-stars of the same TV show. We're going to play each one. Uh, each song will have an advocate in one of us, one of the four of us. We will make our arguments. You at home will think about who wins, and we'll decide in the studio who wins. I don't know. but if We're going to vote. We'll vote, and if there's a tie... Well, you'll hear the voice of producer Matt Brousseau, who sounds like this. That's that's exactly what it sounds like. Sounds hey, like this is how I sound. Oh, oh, oh wait, go he ahead. Said, hey, wait, sounds like what? Sounds like this. Hey! Okay. hey. We'll the call, Bruce. We'll call upon the Bruce to come in and make a decision. I, like, let's do let's Let's practice here. So... I think William Shatner did better because he's got a unique style that shines. I think Leonard Nimoy was more thoughtful, and his song struck me. Hmm. I think Nimoy actually sang the song, so I'm going to go with him. I'm going to say Shatner because that is just iconic, him doing that, and it's also a acid freakout. Uh, well, we were, well, we, we, we have a two to two. Who wins, Brousseau? I'm going to have to go with Shatner on this. Yes! High five! Yay! We okay. win! I, right. I actually like Shatner better. I was just trying to do the example. Oh, oh, the other thing, I'm going to play the theme song to the. I forgot to. do Oh, this. you Can forgot to do it while we were discussing. While we discuss, you have one. We'll have one minute, the length of the of the uncut theme song, or the, like the standard theme song mm-hmm. opening, to make final arguments amongst the two advocates before the others chime in mm-hmm. and make their decisions. Okay, so shall we get started with round one? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, round one. Right. Beyond Yacht Rock. Co-star Deathmatch. Co-star Deathmatch. Deathmatch. I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said knock you out. Round one. All right, who did that? You just have to say who did that. <laughs> Jeff Selby. Yeah, All right, I was, I was not expecting that. No, I didn't know that. I commissioned so. him. Uh, round one, welcome back, Cotter. And this is John Travolta with Whenever I'm Away From You. Before John Travolta played a kind of stupid streetwise Italian from Brooklyn in Saturday Night Fever, he played a really stupid streetwise Italian from Brooklyn in Welcome Back, Cotter. Everybody remembers Vinny Barbarino as the alpha dog of the Sweat Hogs and the show's unintentional breakout star. The show began its run in 1975, but by 1976, Travolta was just way too big to be constrained by the small world of network sitcomery. Wait, unintended breakout star? Why did they cast such a dreamboat? Well, it was Gabe Kaplan's show. But I, yeah, but then you, do you cast somebody? You I cast know. a bunch of horse shacks. You yeah. don't. You don't <laughs> cast somebody it's a with whole, a. It's a shitload of. Sh- Horseshack. Pure young sexuality, <laughs> yeah. like a young Travolta. Jesus, he's like he's like walking gene meat. He was. Yeah. Actually, he was. Yeah, I, I posted those album covers of his just like fucking... Just a, it's, got, it's got a meatloaf in there. Head-to-toe fluffy boner. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. Uh, Do you guys ever hear the quote from David Lee Roth after Clinton played sax on Arsenio? Why, no, Dave, I haven't. No. It was something along the lines of, uh, you know the difference between me and a politician? 
I never wanted to be president. Everyone wants to be a rock star. It's true. And that's, Music was their first love. Yep. Hence, John Travolta started releasing albums. This little bland bite was on his second <laughs> album, Can't Let You Go, and was written by a na man named Gary Benson. You can't find much on Gary Benson other than he was born Harry Hyams, and he wrote a couple songs for Travolta, including the first hit, Letter In. Then went on to work with Olivia Newton-John. Benson also wrote songs for uh, Coven, Marvin Gaye, The Hollies, Barry Manilow, and Maxie Priest. But it was always one of those songs you would skip. I saw him credited on a late 80s George Benson album, but I can easily see how that might be a typo. <laughs> Which G. Benson is this? The somewhat palatable nature of Travolta's singing led him to be cast in Greece as Danny Zuko, a pretty stupid, You're really selling this. A pretty stupid streetwise Italian based on the filming locations, I'm going to say Los Angeles. If we were basing this solely on star power, jet ownership, or gene meat, Travolta is the clear champion of this round. <laughs> if we were... <laughs> Um, too bad we're judging by musical talent and uh, not this sentimental clap I feel, like, I feel like we should take a moment to just listen to Travolta yeah. just, to, just to listen to his style here. So why did you choose wait, wait, wait. this song? Wait, listen, listen, Sorry. listen. <laughs> He's got the same range in his voice as he does his, his think, acting. Yeah. I think I can answer Dave's question. I think I threw it in here as default and Dave didn't change it. No, okay. yeah. yeah, it was the last one. I was like, oh, I'll take Travolta. Well, speaking of uh, changing the default. There we go. <laughs> now for something good. Ah, <laughs> uh, hi there. Okay. Anybody get that? Yeah, I got okay. it. Were you expecting? Hello. Were you expecting maybe a song by Horshack? Uh, nope. It's my man Freddie Boom Boom Washington, aka Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, with "Fly Away to My Wonderland." This is off his self-titled debut in 1978. It was released as a single that year, and it's pretty dang good, if you ask me. Hear that background group? Well, you'll hear them in a second. Uh, that's there, there. That's Yacht Rock's own The Waterses mm. there. And uh, Michael Boddicker is on the Moog somewhere. Uh, this was written by Lamont Dozier of Holland Dozier Holland and uh, McKinley Jackson, who became who was a tromboner with the Politicians, the in-house band for uh, Hot Wax and Invictus labels. Oh, now you're speaking my language. I know. I, I put that in there for you, Steve. Oh, nice shit. Yeah. Shit, man. This is good. I think um, Lamont Dozier also produced this album. Yeah. Hey, he's Absolutely. no Gary he's Benson. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Benson, everybody! He's good, too. Uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs was born in New York City in 1953 and studied acting with the famous Negro Ensemble Company in the early 70s. Seriously, look up the names that went through there. It's amazing. Um, of course, he played Freddie, per uh, Freddie Percy Boom Boom Washington on Welcome Back, Cater, starting in 1975. Boom Boom was a basketball player and uh, number two in the Sweat Hogs, but he even uh, usurped uh, Barbarino for a while. Run. LHJ <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, went on to be in a shit ton of TV shows and, uh, and movies, but in... The year of this album, he would uh, star in the non-hockey version of Youngblood, which I think, Dave, you talked about. Did you do that yeah. in Black Exploitation, Black Exclamations? Yeah, now you're talking my language. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of fame got him the clout to make two albums, this and 1979's, and I have to make sure I give this enough gravitas, All the Way, Love. Yeah. Does Shatner uh, have anything to do with that? I, uh, that was just that's just a correctly pronounced ellipsis right there. Oh, okay. 
yeah, and both of these were with the ABC Records. Um, I kind of want to say something about his acting as well. I, I remember in film school, uh, we were watching films, and we watched a film called Cooley High. Yeah. And, and it was a very serious film that Freddie Boom Boom Washington yeah. was in, and I was like, wow. I that no, might have been his first role. He really penetrated the zeitgeist. My, my best friend had a fish named Freddie Boom Boom Washington. So <laughs> He got right in there. There you go. Um, all and up I in had, that zeitgeist. I, you, remember that, you remember that chicken that we had? Yeah, it's Juanita Epstein. Juanita Epstein. I named it after Juan <laughs> Epstein's sister. Um, so listen, this one song is better than Travolta's whole catalog. First, the dude can sing. Uh, second, he's fucking cool. He's not some butt Jim sad sap. Uh, listen to that groove and the water says kill, kill it on the back. This makes me feel like getting down on the dance floor. Yeah. While Travolta, Travolta's makes me want to go in the closet. Uh, so, so much. Hey. This is so much cooler, and this is the fucking music biz. Cool rules. This is an easy choice. Oh, and not to be minimized, uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs did write some of the songs on this album. I doubt Travolta ever did that. Well, he's credited, but I mean, so is Madonna. Everybody knows. Um, Dave, you seem to have lost your flavor for, for Travolta. I mean, do <laughs> you want to make it this easy? Or? Yeah, well, here's the thing. After I, I was all gung-ho to talk about Travolta, but then I listened to this song, and I'm like, there's really no contest. So what I'm doing is I threw in a wild card. Yes, friends. <laughs> there are times in life when you reach a point of conflict. This is Gabe Kaplan with Up Your Nose. <laughs> so he took a famous catchphrase from the show it, that wasn't his. <laughs> that was Barbarino's. <laughs> I get into all this. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I don't think there's much competition between those first two, so I'm calling an audible and putting in this absolute jam. As you hear, it starts with the same sort of tent revival minister speak that you would hear at the beginning of Hot August Night. Oh, yeah. It's powerful stuff. <laughs> just, just as well thought out. Then it kicks in with singer-comedian Gabe Kaplan's hilarious take on Travolta's catchphrase from the show. Is that the, is that the Champlets? Oh, no. Is it the, is it the Caplets? <laughs> Gabe Kaplan going, <laughs> up your nose! Kaplan was a stand-up comedian who appeared on The Tonight Show five times before he helped develop the stand-up character into the idea for Welcome Back, Cotter. He later became a professional <laughs> poker player, winning over two million in one World Series of Poker Championship. This then, is all good stuff. He then went on to provide commentary for several poker shows. Okay, here's what's the most significant about this. <laughs> You're just trying to talk over him singing. So that we can't hear it. <laughs> From 76 to 78 and again in 81, Gabe went on to be the team captain for ABC and then NBC in Battle of the Network Stars. Of the five times he competed, he was team captain every time, won twice for ABC and wow. once for NBC uh, when he was on the show Lewis and Clark. That was a show that ran for one season, uh, only five episodes, where Gabe played a New Yorker that takes over a Texas country bar. Imagine Roadhouse with no violence, bad one-liners, terrible puns, and instead of Swayze and Sam Elliott, you have Gabe Kaplan and a co-star of She's the Sheriff. So did you want to give, uh, you just wanted to give Dave Kaplan facts, right? Are you going to defend this song at all? Gonna... I just wanted He's to... just trying to talk so we don't hear it. I just wanted to do what everyone wants to do, J.D. 
talk about Gabe Kaplan. I see. Well, I'll, you guys I, remember that baseball player, Gabe Kapler? Oh, yes. Yeah. He played, played for the played Tigers. Like a couple decades now, after Gabe Kaplan's now he's career. A, I think he's a minor league coach with the Dodgers. Yeah, he's a, he's a fox, man. He, he, always, he was like a <laughs> He's real, a bodybuilder. Yeah, he was a real big muscles, really handsome guy. Well, I, uh, Gabe Kaplan isn't exactly a tall pile of shit either. <laughs> well, they're both I, they're both Jewish bodybuilders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, but just Gabe Kaplan, is, obviously, he builds a body of work. <laughs> uh, this uh, I, I just do I do want to say this is better than Travolta's right. song. Well, I quickly realized I couldn't defend that turn, so I had to go off book and read these facts about Gabe Kaplan that I wrote down earlier. All right, are you guys are you two ready to to, to take it out on one another for a final argument? <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. Steve, you and I have to be quiet. These two have to hash oh, okay, it all got out. It, got okay, it. here we go. All right, you want to go first, Hunter? We we have oh, to do we have to do this. Yeah. Well, play the goddamn song. Okay, here we go. Because I really don't want to do this for a minute. <laughs> hey, what was, do you remember James Woods and uh, Welcome Back, Cotter? No. You don't remember? He, uh-uh. was, he was the, like, creepy, like, drama. Uh, or, uh, uh, da, uh, Hitting on the 16-year-olds. Not drama. <laughs> probably. Um, he was the debate debate club coach. You know what, And Hunter? he had to go up against the against the uh, Sweat Hogs. Guess who won? The Sweat Hogs. Yep, that's right. You know what, Hunter? I think you've convinced me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm trying to like bring up the debate of, uh, you know. Yeah. Freddie Boom Boom Washington, he was very good at it. He yeah. Could, uh, he was very charismatic. You know, and even in the G-Me competition, I gotta say they were equals. Yeah, that's true. I mean... Travolta, better dancer. Hilton Jacobs was a little taller, so but it didn't stand out as much. We're but. talking about singing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, my vote is going to go to Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Yeah, there's no real contest there. It's Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Yeah, Lawrence right. Hilton Jacobs. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey Matt Brousseau, can, right, can you please tally up the vote and tell us who won? I believe the winner was Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. All right. Four votes. There we go. All right. You know, you know, another uh, piece of trivia is that in, uh, do you remember the the PJs, the Eddie Murphy show, the PJs? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. They lived in the uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs uh, <laughs> uh, uh, projects. Yeah. His name of it. That's great. Yeah. Okay, on to round two. Beyond Yacht Rock. Co-star Deathmatch. Co-star Deathmatch. Alright. That really takes it up a notch. Well, tell me about it, man. This guy's good. Uh, so Sybil Shepherd was an irrelevant joke when she was approached to play Maddie Hayes in the romantic PI show Moonlighting. Once a crazy famous actress and model, such a fox, her character was not unlike herself in Moonlighting, a washed up model looking for a second <laughs> chance. Um, her charisma and skills. Meow. <laughs> it's true. So her charisma and skills in all things, her being a superwoman of talent and style, it took an opportunity by the balls and launched her into her, her the, the famous fear once again. Um, but almost as early as she was famous, she was also a singer, having released three albums in the 70s and early 80s. Um, I believe they were mostly her singing jazz standards. 
She was famous for being in the last picture show, right? Yeah, I mean, that was like mm -hmm. her act. She was a model first. She won like some modeling contests, and then last picture show was her first acting gig. And then she might have like won oh, a Golden Globe for yeah, it or something. And then, and then she was in Taxi Driver. And she was dating Peter Bogdanovich, and Peter D Bogdanovich, who directed the last picture show, was like, you gotta be a singer. And he really pushed for her singer thing. Like, he really championed her. Her early albums. Also, he wore a lot of ascots. Yeah, that guy's kind of a pretentious guy. Yeah. At, at Buck Balnovich. <laughs> um, so, Moonlighting was an insane show uh, from the late 80s. It frequently went completely off the rails. Um, it birthed the hour-long network dramedy format. Um, the scripts were usually 40 pages longer than the typical hour-long show, and they would take three or four days longer to shoot each episode. Uh, the show was an absolute beast, and it was never really a huge hit. The best it did was 15. It, that was its best year. It was it's number still like 15. pretty good. Not, well, it was, it was not very when there's good. only four networks. Yeah, and, and only three there networks. Was, the there time. was uh, a lot of buzz about it, but it wasn't popular. I mean, just Ouch. like Fox Burn by JD. <laughs> just slipped that in there. When did that When did that start, Fox? Uh, probably towards the tail end. Yeah. yeah, like for instance, now <laughs> Young Sheldon is a very popular show that debuted really high in the ratings, but it's complete garbage. It doesn't mean anything. Moonlighting was a good show, just. Smart people don't watch a lot of TV. Um, let's see, where was I? Oh, okay, so... You're getting a little bogged down of itch here, day, uh, JD. Tell me about it. So, the show's a beast, and it a hit. Um, but one of the most famous episodes early on was called The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice, and it featured black and white fantasy sequences. Uh, one of which Maggie was a lounge singer. Maddie? Maddie? Maddie was a lounge singer and got a chance to sing this rendition of Blue Moon in its entirety in the middle of the show. And people say Twin Peaks The Return was groundbreaking because it had full songs in the middle. Right. Uh, um, also, just so happened, top. Uh, <laughs> Maddie and David's company was called the Blue Moon Detective Agency. And another fun fact I read about, this show had the blue, the, the black and white fantasy sequences and... The network insisted that they put a disclaimer up front. <laughs> because that uh, said, hey, part of the show is in black and white, yeah. but the show is not a black and white show. Don't worry about it. And It's another, not old-fashioned, okay? And a sub-fun fact was that they had Orson Welles read that, and it was his last performance before he died. Oh, wow. Oh, because yeah. oh, everybody always said Cybertron in uh, Transformers the movie was his last one, but that, that was his real last yeah, performance. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, they recorded a couple days you know, before he died. I love the idea of people getting up like when it, it turns the black and white and start whacking yeah, the side that, of the I was going to say, that, that was the danger. I bet yeah. you that's why they did it, is yeah. because people had PTSD of going from black and white to color, <laughs> but they didn't want to get up and be like, goddamn piece of shit on the fritz again. Oh, man, TV was different back then. Um, okay, so, it's rare to find a woman who made a career being good-looking who was also able to hold her own line, in a, her, hold her own in another line of work. Like when models sing, I call I call that genre myodels. It's coming up. It's coming <laughs> I bet you it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Naomi Campbell was in. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tyrese has some albums. So Sybil has proven herself on the big screen, the small screen, and now also in the recording booth. Um, you know how I feel about oldie time music. I think it's shitty. But here, Sybil takes an old standard and fills it with salt and sexual tension making it shockingly, shockingly relevant to 1987, turning it into an ode to the detective agency featured in one of the most relevant television shows of the day, Moonlighting. I'm telling you, this woman is knocking this shit out of the park, and also she's doing it with class. 
I'd like to challenge. I'd like to challenge any co-star to step up to this level of class and hold their own. You can't, Dave. You can't laugh about this performance. This is a serious, great performance. I'm laughing, I'm, I'm laughing how you removed any bit of class by using the word and pronouncing it the way you did. I remove any bit of class from any room I walk into. Yeah. You also lower property values. It's your superpower. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> your neighbors saw you move in and were like, "Fuck! Huh, did somebody build a rendering plant? Who's that homeless guy? And how did he get such an attractive family?" <laughs> yep. I try to be. I try to trim my beard every now and then. I ran out of contact lenses. I'm sorry. I'm wearing glasses. Is there, is there a longshore near here somewhere? <laughs> Do you ever hear the story of when I was with my friend Westside Steve in a bar and JD was coming to meet us and Steve had never met JD before and he like looked down at the table. I was like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "This homeless guy's coming over to talk to us." And I looked up. I was like, "Oh, it's my friend JD." I don't wear those ratty flannels anymore. No, it was uh, like a puffy coat. Yeah, you, you had one of your vests, <laughs> like with the with the the cotton. Imitation down was like busting out of it. Well, it was warm. <laughs> Winter was coming. <laughs> <laughs> My life is the Thrones. It always has been. The show speaks to me. I am Thrones. Uh, <laughs> well, this went this went in a different direction. Yeah. Civil Shepherd is great. Okay, Steve, do you want to tee up this next one? Hey, fellas, look here. I'm here today to make the case for yeah. Motown recording artist Bruce Willis. For JD. Now, you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? And you may ask yourself, where is that large automobile? And you may ask yourself, how the shit fuck did Bruce Willis get signed to Motown Records? Well, sometimes in life... Successful record companies fall on hard money times, and sometimes those record companies are at home, sitting in their favorite easy chair, watching the old ball game, and a commercial comes on that is so perfect, so mind-blowing, so sensational, that that old record company jumps out of its easy chair, picks up the phone, and yells, Get me Shlomo Goldenbaum! So, J.D., <laughs> would you please cue up Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler? Look here. That harmonica. I remember this ad. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> They're just hanging out on the porch singing songs. Do you do you remember the George Carlin joke that if uh, aging white actors can keep making blues music, then, then black people should be able to burn down the house of blues? <laughs> yeah, good old Carlin. So. In the mid-80s, Bruce Willis was the coolest man on television. He was so cool he could make drinking a wine cooler sound awesome. <laughs> he had that charming irreverence, that anarchic spontaneity, that devil-may-care insouciance that leaves people unable to take their eyes off you. Okay, it was wait, are you quick. saying he's a bit of a bon vivant? A bit, yes. Can I also say about town? Can I also say that he didn't only make drinking wine coolers sound cool. He made drinking wine unflavored wine coolers sound cool. <laughs> it was golden wine coolers. There was no flavor. It was just. It wasn't like kiwi strawberry or anything. It was just golden. It yeah. was basically sweet beer. Fuck Bartles and his friend James. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was. It was. It was actually fucking fun to watch Bruce Willis just like it used to be fun to watch Keith Olbermann host SportsCenter for the exact same reasons 
before both of them started taking themselves too seriously. But before Bruce was a wise-cracking, tough-guy action star, he was a legitimately hilarious, wise-cracking, life-of-the-party comic actor who won an Emmy for Best Actor in a Dramatic Series. That's right, Moonlighting was such a genre-straddling tour de force that Bruce also won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy Series for the exact same role. And he could play the harmonica. <laughs> So Motown, here he comes. Cool Steve off a little bit. <laughs> it's hot tonight. We're having a hot time in the old town tonight. So Bruce Willis's first album came out in 1987. It was called The Return of Bruno. It's referred to by American psycho Patrick Bateman as his favorite compact disc. It's basically the Blues Brothers meets Chris Gaines. Uh, it's about half classic soul and R&B covers, including this song, a cover of the stable singers Respect Yourself, which went top five on the pop charts, because that's how cool Bruce Willis was. But all these songs are sung by Bruce's alter ego, a supposedly lost blues rock legend named Bruno Radolini, oh, who is apparently Christ. named after some really awesome pasta. And there was a whole hour-long H... What? I own this. <laughs> Is it your favorite compact disc? No, no. I, well, I own that, I own that, but I own the VHS oh, the, oh, the, of the, the HBO special. special that you're about to mention. Is it good? And it's amazing. Oh, no, it's Yeah, sweet. it's just like Ringo Starr, like former Beatles, saying how much uh, Bruno Randolini inspired them yeah. to, to play their music. Yeah, Bru yeah, the whole thing is like Bruno making these Forrest Gump-like impacts on all these celebrity guests. One of which is the Beatles. <laughs> He's the, he inspired the Beatles. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's like, like two-thirds of it is like this the Bruno documentary and then there's like the last 20 minutes is a fucking Bruno Rattellini Alfredo concert <laughs> uh, so now you might wonder what value this Bruce Willis cover of the Staple Singers has I mean I'll grant you it does feel like the Blues Brothers covered this music because it's fucking cool Whereas Bruce Willis covers this music because Bruce Willis is fucking cool. I think it feels a little more like Blues Brothers 2000 level of cool. I think he's a little... I don't know. Would you rate him higher than John Goodman? Yes. Okay, there we go. And I also have to say... Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll keep it for the for your argument. Okay, so... Now, so, the, the, there's an enduring legacy to this song. You listen to Madonna's Express Yourself... You're gonna tell me that Madonna ripped off that hook from the Staple Singers original? Fuck no! She got it from this. Guaranteed. <laughs> and without that, Lady Gaga never rips off that hook for Born This Way, which would have deprived the 21st century of one of its, its great gay rights anthems. So thank you, Bruce. Your legacy lives on. Uh, okay, I want you to remember, uh, real quick, just listen to how this harmonica is treated in the production, okay? Okay, now I can make my argument against Bruce Willis. I've never heard a harmonica mixed that deep back into a mix. You've never heard you've never heard my old boss Michael Erlewine playing on Bob Seger's debut album. Oh my god, well, I'll tell you something. This is it's not it's not that good. He's not that good because Sybil Shepherd is beautiful, has a voice of a, of an angel bird. 
and Bruce Willis is a he's lame. He's a lame <laughs> of old a, man. Of a, of a bird that died. <laughs> you, you just you just can't handle the richness of Voice a true of a taste. Bird. A true taste of Rattellini Alfredo. That's right because I can't because I have a strict diet of only uh, salad and carrots, which is what models ate in the 80s. Salad and, and carrots. Yes, and together. At la- that's about what uh, <laughs> Civil Shepherd's music sounds like. It, it's like that was their third album compared to Bruce Willis's. It sounds like a Cobb salad, a very rich and fattening salad. Okay, <laughs> there's our arguments. All right. What do you think? Who wins? Well, I'll have to say that I, I'm going to have to put the same. Like I said for LHJ, uh, it's cool. this is the record record biz cool rules. I got to go with Bruce. Really? See, I agree that cool rules, but I think Bruno was an absolute farce. I mean, it's become a joke. People reference it because it was so just fucking embarrassing. It is now, but and I mean... No, it, was, it, was it anticipated always. Chris Gaines by a decade, by more than a decade. Uh, it's a head of its As a seven-year-old, I thought it was cool as fuck. Yeah, well, I'm five years older than you, and I can see right through that horse shit. I still think it's cool. And Sybil Shepard, I mean, that sounds like... I mean, I could hear that in an episode of Twin Peaks. Class. Class. She's one classy bra. You could hear Sybil Shepard singing that in... Well, it's not quite that good, but we heard James Hurley sing in Twin Peaks, so there's room. I'm 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 on the I'm on the Sybil train. All oh, right. we got a tie. We need your Bruce. Oh, oh, oh we need the the, we the need Bruce. The Bruce. Uh, folks, uh, I'm a sucker for schlock. Oh no! So I'm going with Bruce on this. Yes! Bruce for the Bruce. He just Bruce. chose it because it's the same name. <laughs> Thank you. Seagrams. Okay. So back in 1996, there was a creative force so big and so strong he could do any artistic pursuit and succeeds, just like Bruno. That man was Edward Burns. Remember auteur Edward Burns? Vaguely. The man who finally gave voice to the sensitive Irish dude bros from Long Island? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um... At the time, he made uh, She's the One, a gussied-up Hollywood version of his first independent film, Brothers McMullen. You know, I saw Brothers McMullen in high school, and my mind was kind of blown. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world because I had never seen an independent <laughs> film before. Nobody yeah. really had at yeah. that point. Yeah. Except for Clerks. And I watched it again. I hadn't, even, I hadn't seen Clerks at that point, Whoa. but I watched Brothers McMullen like same again era. years later, and I go, oh boy. <laughs> but I did work with Edward's brother Brian on Blue Mountain State, and he is lovely. He's a lovely man. Uh, yeah, the film, uh, She's the One, it was a moderate success. Uh, the true artistic coup of She's the One, though, is that he got Tom Petty to release a full album as the soundtrack. Uh, this is the lead single, Walls uh, Circus, as there was also a Walls number three on the album, which uh, has a different arrangement. 
Uh, the inspiration for this song came from a comment John, Johnny Cash told Tom Petty, which was, some days are diamonds, some days are rocks. And it's crazy to me that artists like Cash or Petty or, say, a Bob Dylan, their throwaway lines are more poetic and inspiring than anything I could ever try to write. Yeah, well, it, Bob Dylan tells him something, and it's great, but it's only good enough for him to tell Edward Burns, I got an idea for your song for your movie that Bob Dylan told me. No, it's Johnny Cash. But Johnny Cash. Bob Dylan told me another one when we were in the Wilburys together. Um, their ta- their talent was like breathing. It just happens without thinking. Um, Petty also got Lindsey Buckingham to help arrange the music on this, and he uh, even contributed backing vocals. Oh, I can hear the Lindsey Buckingham arrangement in this sort of. It's sort of offbeat, sort of off-kilter in that Buckingham kind of way. Uh, the She's the One album was primarily leftover tracks from his Wildflowers album, which was by no means a bad thing. Uh, Wildflowers, to me, is one of the greatest albums ever made. I'm going to get a little sappy here, and I think it's Petty's best. Wildflowers came out in 1994 and cut through my adolescent malaise of grunge and alternative. Uh, I still remember Tabitha Soren on MTV saying that she was looking forward to Wildflowers um, out of all the albums that were coming out and thinking to myself, really, that's old, That's an old person's music. Like, we never really mentioned old people music or something to that effect. Uh, Tom Petty, he seemed square to me. Uh, he was a guy who, like Seeger or Springsteen, captured an, an average American uh, working man's experience, a working person's experience. He didn't snarl and he didn't snipe at modern society. He wrote songs of failed dreams, common feelings, and acceptance. Songs that speak to the human condition. As a young teen, I did not want to hear that. I wanted <laughs> anger or hyperbole. I wanted a grandiose provocateur, not just simple Tom Petty. Then I heard wild, Wildflowers. It didn't stray too far from his previous material, but seemed to have a more intimate, stripped-down sound. I can't say why, but it spoke to me. It, it spoke to a lot of people my age, I think, any, any age, really. Um, it seemed to have this message to it, like, for me, you're about to go down, this, down a strange road. I was 14 at the time. You're about to get hurt and hurt other people. You're about to make a lot of mistakes, have some successes and many failures. Uh, just remember this moment. Remember listening to this album. Remember who you are, and in 20 or 30 years, I'll be here and you'll understand. I'll help you figure it out. Uh, Tom Petty was timeless. His songs were and are timeless. Um, he ne- he never really changed over his music. Never really, it always sounded the same, and it always meant the same. And uh, I just wanted to say, rest in peace, Tom Petty. I was watching uh, that Jimmy Iovine, Dr. Dre uh, documentary, The Defiant Ones, on HBO. And there's this old footage of uh, Tom Petty in the studio, just like 26 years old, just being a badass, like, fuck you. And then I went and watched Running Down a Dream. And there's there's this video of him, like, yelling at the, the big record company guy, like, who the fuck are you? You have points on this record, this song? Why are you trying to get me to play this song? Because you're going to make money. This song fucking sucks. And he's just telling him off, and he's awesome, and he's right. And I got a phone call a week ago, Monday from a friend saying, hey, I have an ex- my wife's sick. Do you want to go see Tom Petty? And I thought, yeah, why not? That'll be fun. I had no idea that it would be his last concert ever. And when I was sitting there, I just knew every song, and it was fantastic. And I turned to my friend and I said, thanks for letting me hear this and kind of knocking that punk rock chip off my shoulder that kept me from liking Tom Petty for so many years, because he was amazing. Um, 
Anybody else want to say? Yeah, the dang good actor too. You know what? You see a little movie called uh, The Postman, written and directed and starring Kevin Costner. Yeah. He goes to this uh, <laughs> uh, post-apocalyptic town. And, it's like the Pony Express in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the mayor of that town walks up to him, and lo and behold, it's Tom Petty. You know, top and, hat and all. Yeah, and he's uh, Kevin Costner's character goes, "Hey, I know you. You were famous." And he goes, "I was once, kind of, sort of." <laughs> he kind of—he was kind of sort of playing himself in this movie. Um, the Wilburys are dying in the wrong damn order. <laughs> I, I was surprised. Who's left, Jeff Lynn and uh, um, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan Roscoe. Yeah, I would. Train. I would dis- I would disagree with that. I think maybe if they all died at the Just same let time, Dave have that his would. Joke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know that he lost his, that top hat in a bad fire in in the valley. A while ago. In in Reseda? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had a big fight. I wonder it's such a long day living there. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, hey, after his house burned down, he asked the fireman about about the top hat, and they said, let's go check it out, and then waiting was the hardest part. I was making that joke at the bar last night. We were waiting to hear when they like he stopped breathing. I was like, the waiting's the hardest part, and people don't think it was that funny. I, I laughed when you did the joke on the text with us. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, was recycling my material. Yeah, I know, too. you do that. Uh, he was also lucky on King of the Hill. Does yeah. anybody remember Lucky? Yeah, absolutely. He used to say, my pee-pee money all the time. <laughs> and that was amazing. Um, anyways, the point is, Edward Burns would later marry a supermodel. Mm-hmm. And his brother would marry that supermodel's sister. Is that true? Yep. <laughs> that's, whoa, that, weird. That's weird. My my dad's brother's married sisters. Uh, it's yep. not, not weird, then. Yep. No, it's part of my life. It's weird. I get it. It's weird. All right. Next. Next. Next round. Yacht Rock. Co-star Deathmatch. Co-star Deathmatch. Deathmatch. I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said knock you out. I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said knock you out. Round three. I love the mellow grooves behind LL Cool J in those bumpers. Yeah, you can mix him to anything. And that was written for, or in a Michael J. Fox movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Family Ties was a show about a couple former hippies trying to make a family work in the crazy conservative world of the 80s. One of their children was Alex P. Keaton, who was a teenage diehard William F. Buckley school Republican, played by a Canadian midget heartthrob named Michael J. Fox. The a, lot show, of, a lot of Canadians. I know. The, uh, well, their first love was music. We're yeah. sick with them. Um, this place is lousy with them. The show became a smash hit sensation, and soon Michael J. Fox became a movie star in 1985 when Back to the Future and Teen Wolf set the world on fire. It did. Later, he'd star in less memorable movies, Secret of My Success, Bright Lights, Big City, and Light of Day, all of which I kind of feel like were the same movie. Um, But in Light of Day, written and directed by Paul Schrader of Taxi Driver writing fame, um, from Grand Rapids, Michigan also, uh, Michael J. Fox played a guy in a rock band with his sister, played by Joan Jett. Um, Joan Jett had a young son, and I clearly remember a scene where Michael J. Fox teaches his nephew how to write a song. He turns on the TV and an old movie is on, and the character says, you got no place to go. So Michael J. Fox's character picks up an acoustic guitar and starts writing this song on the spot. This song was actually written by Michael J. Fox and someone named Alan Mark Pearl. Um... (laughs) 
Another song off the album Light of Day was written by Springsteen, and it was co-sung by Jay Fox in the movie, but the single was sung by Joan Jett alone, and it was a moderate hit, hitting number 33. Uh, this song, You Got No Place to Go by Michael J. Fox, uh, was not a hit. Listen to him. You're being too kind. <laughs> it was like the la- it was one of the last songs on the album. If you watch the movie, um, when they're singing Light of Day, Joan Jett surprises them on stage and yeah. they're singing to the mic together, and they have the exact same mullet. <laughs> it's beautiful. He actually he sings that song well in the movie. That's one of the great moments in mullet history right there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not hard to sing well when Joan Jett's taking every other verse. Um... Okay, so just because the song wasn't a hit, it doesn't mean it's not one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Um, Michael J. Fox pours all of his 26-year-old teen charm into this one, and you can hear it, like all the deep-seated Canadian pain, the chain smoker's voice, the impending Parkinson's disease, the once-promising and now-seemingly tanking film career. So much of his young and future life is poured into this very simple song. It addresses to his fans, really, you got no place to go, so why don't you stay with me? Are you really going to find a film or television star more appealing than Michael J. Fox? No, you don't. Stick with him. The boy is genius. This song is audio genius. All right, Michael All right. turn. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. <laughs> I saw him at Trader Joe's once in La Cunada. Michael Gross? Yep. Wow. He is not gross looking. No, he's... He's all right. All right, let's move on to somebody who's... Uh, Mick, Mick Jagger was in Family Days? <laughs> Someone whose career is a little more steady these days. Um, oh! <laughs> no, it's, put it how you wrote it. Because it, it really that puts it, that puts it home a little bit more. I just got it. Yeah, let's move on to someone whose career is a little less shaky these days. What a heel turn. Uh, I mentioned that my first celebrity crush was Joan Jett, and then after her, Joe from Facts of Life, and then Jodie Foster. But then I have to go with Justine Bateman. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't like that she was ditzy on the show, so I have to admit my attraction was purely physical. Oh, man, how could you not how, be yeah. physically attracted but to But let me tell you about my Mallory. oral fixation with this song. Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, it's one of the best goddamn rock songs of all time, a goddamn rock and roll anthem. And Justine kind of kills it. It's been said in some YouTube comments that Mick Jagger really liked this version of the song, and so do I. Justine is not <laughs> really selling it. <laughs> Justine is not a great singer, and but kills it. <laughs> and I think that plays to her advantage. She ends up sounding, you know, not like Pretty Boy Michael J. Fox. By the way, that J doesn't even stand for anything. Uh, she has a rawness to it because she's not polished and. Um, Okay, now I'll admit the movie Light of Day is much better than Satisfaction, originally titled Girls of Summer, but luckily we're not arguing film quality. If you look the movie up on Wikipedia, you'll see the following statement. This film received poor reviews. <laughs> that's, under, that's, that's under critical reception, right? Yeah. That's the only sentence. Yeah. <laughs> the song, however, kicks ass. Justine shook her ditzy sister stereotype to play a foul-mouthed, down-and-dirty singer for a band that just wanted a gig as the house band at Liam, at Liam Neeson's West Palm Beach Resort. <laughs> Michael J. Fox had Joan Jett to make him look badass and light a day. Justine Bateman had Julia Roberts singing back up, which is like having a fucking anchor around your neck. And she still managed to come through like a champ. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Here we go, then. 
Justy Bateman is stupid. And um, her singing is dumb. As much as I respect Michael J. Fox and uh, what he's done for Canadians and uh, palsy people everywhere, um, his singing, his singing sound, it's, it's just a little weak. I'm telling you, man, just a man and his guitar. Uh, Justine Bateman had a huge production behind her. Her vocals are, are put back in the mix, and Michael J. Fox, he's out there. It's his little boy voice, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful track, and he's a beautiful little boy. It's not. It's weak. It sounds like he has asthma. And if I want to listen to a Canadian singing with a guitar, give me Tom Cochran. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, life is a highway, but if I saw Justine Bateman on the highway, I'd, I'd run her over. I'd, I'd ride her all night long. <laughs> God damn it. You just might win with that right there. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any winners in this. We timed that out perfectly, though. Mm-hmm. Um... Steve, you want to go first on this one? Um. <laughs> okay. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Justine Bateman on yeah. this one. All right. Despite uh, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I, you make an excellent point, Steve. <laughs> neither one of them were that good. Um, I agree. Justine Bateman was doing someone else's song, and so she's building on that, whereas Michael J. Fox did his own song, so points that to Jay Fox. Wrote. That he wrote. So points to Jay Fox. Cool rules. Cool does rule. And Justine Bateman played cooler, but I saw Light of Day, and that, that, he was pretty cool on that, too. Especially, he had a mullet. Well, he had Joan Jett. And, and Joe Jett. I mean, he's hanging out with Joe Jett, though. I mean, that's pretty cool. You got to be cool to hang out with Joe Jett. So I, well, that was that was my point. That's that. a whole. I'm just, my point is that's a push. Mm. That I don't think they were both pretty cool. Um, so the only thing I can go on is Michael J. Fox. At least he wrote his and and he hung his hat on his own song. So I'm going to go with J. Fox on this. That's All it. right. That means we need a tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. Oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I, di- I didn't grow up with Justine Bateman, but uh, Joan Jett I like. So I'm going with Michael J. Fox. Hey, God all right. damn it. All right. That song's uh, terrible. You got no place to go. I can't get it out of my head. You got hey, no, place, got to no go. place to go. Listen, there were no winners in that contest, all right? <laughs> all right, last round. This is going to be only winners. Yeah. This is a tough one. Well, I can listen to that all day. <laughs> Round four. Can I vote for the bumper to win this one? All right, so of course there's only one choice for the Don Johnson song to spotlight in this Miami Vice face-off. And that is the top five smash, Heartbeat, from the album of the same name. Now, here's the main thing about Heartbeat. It's not embarrassing. It is a real, legit, mainstream 80s rock song. Don even hits the notes in the key change near the end, at least as well as John Bon Jovi hits that last chorus in Living on a Prayer. So I know you're not going to confuse Don Johnson with Steve Perry, but he does just fine. He does fine. It's not embarrassing. Now, I want to tell you about all the guests on Don Johnson's album. First of all, you got the champ and Mrs. Champ, Tamara Champlin. Who was also a frequent guest on Thick of the Night. Yep, that's for starters. You got songs written by Tom Petty, R.I.P., Bob Seger, and Diane Warren, not to mention a co-write by Bill LeBounty. 
You got guest appearances by Willie Nelson, Bonnie Raitt, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers, Dweezil Zappa, Ron Wood from the Faces and Rolling Stones, and future SNL band leader Lenny Prickett. Don's follow-up album also had Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, Bruce Kulick from Kiss, Jeff Daniels on guitar, and a crew of backing vocalists that includes Michael DeBar and Barbara Streisand. Do you realize how hot you have to be to get Barbara Streisand to take a backseat to you? Don Johnson hot. That's how hot you have to be. Or her limo driver. Get it? I get it. Oh, a backseat. <laughs> Yeah, Don and Barbara even did a duet on one of her albums. It was called Till I Loved You. It was a hit. And yes, Barbara Streisand banged the shit out of Don Johnson. (laughs) And in the early 70s, so did Michael DeBar's future wife, Pamela. Uh, Of course, Don also spent a good chunk of time in the 70s dating a then-underage Melanie Griffith, whom he married as soon as she turned 18, as was the style at the time. They got divorced just six months later, but remarried in 1989, and that lasted through 1996. And prior to Barbara Streisand, Don also dated actress Patty Darbinville, who was Cat Stevens' ex. That was in the 80s, leading up to Miami Vice. I- I'm not going to read this next part. Because I'll just comment on it later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm making the point here that Don Johnson gets around. He's a bon vivant. All right. I'm He's a say man it, about man. town. Why am I getting his dating profile? New slash handsome, lo- famous, and rich actor who thinks he can sing "Bang the Bunch of Broads" more at 11. But his singing had very little to do with that. His singing was something he did f- in and of itself. Because uh, music for was his first love. <laughs> his first love. Don was able to get Dickie Betts on this album because he had co-written two songs. Can't take it with you and Blind Love on the 1979 Allman Brothers album Enlightened Rose. And that blows my mind because Don Johnson had already lived a full and fascinating life before he ever became a TV star. I have no idea how. My theory is that he was the living embodiment of that Mike Myers character, Lank Thompson, who just kept saying, I'm a handsome man, over and over again, as many Mike Myers characters tend to do. And there's another random celebrity connection. Don knew Bruce Willis, who's already won a round in this uh, celebrity deathmatch, when Bruce was working as a bartender in New York and helped Bruce get his first big acting job on a a season one episode of Miami Vice in 1984. He did. And then... He played a scumbag. Yep, he did. He played an arms dealer named Tony Amato. Yes, he did. He used to beat his wife. The character. Uh, It turns out he was was working with the CIA, so he got off. I think that's how it is. Anyways, and sorry. then in 1986, Don Johnson won the world championship in something called powerboat racing. Yep. I can't even find time to get home, do a little exercise, make dinner, and work on a podcast all on the same night. Don Johnson is a fucking TV star who writes songs for the Allman Brothers and is a world champion powerboat racer. Uh, he is, of course, best known as the star of the television show Nash Bridges. And that's my Don Johnson presentation. You ready? Yeah, I think there was a song in there somewhere. That's okay. Let's go it was good. It's a good song. Top five All hit. All righty. Listen, I know you didn't talk about the song. I don't even feel like I need to because this song does, does all the talking for itself. You know what I'm saying? Woo! Listen to that. I just want to listen to that set for a second. Yeah. This is pretty, fish. pretty busy groove there. Yeah, this is Fish and Chips. Yeah, it is. By Philip Michael Thomas. 
who if Boom Boom was the coolest dude in the 70s, Tubbs was the sweetest and coolest dude in the 80s. We were rocking out to this before you guys got here. Just two dudes on a couch listening to Fish and Chips. <laughs> yeah. And really, I'm going to talk over a lot of the songs, so, you know, you got to find this at home. Yeah. Uh... Uh, so that's why, because he was so cool, that's why this 1985 album was called Living the Book of My Life. Because he was awesome. This song was also released as a single. Had no insane personnel on the album. You know, no no Zappas or Betzes or DeBars. Oh, he got a bunch of like reggae session guys on this album. No insane personnel on was, this album. Was this, was this a hit? Was this a hit single? I didn't talk... Quiet, you. You didn't need it because you had tubs on this album, and that's all that mattered. You didn't have to fill it with all that flash of uh, your fucking yeah. bang mates. Because uh, your song only has one word that you repeat over and over again. Uh, Philip Michael Thomas was born in 1949 in Columbus, Ohio, but he grew up in San Bernardino. The smoothest of the Bernardinos. <laughs> Sometime in the 1970s, uh, he auditioned. The, the, the less smooth is Sand Bernardino. That one's a little rough. That's yeah, pretty gritty. Yeah. Uh, sometime in the 70s, he auditioned for Hair, and he won a role in the Frisco cast. <laughs> he was in a bunch of little movies, including the controversial Ralph Bakshi animated film Coonskin. Uh, I don't. It's, it's why was it's, it controversial? Coonskin, uh, mostly because of the name. Okay. Yeah, mostly. Uh, in 1984, he got his big break with the role of Ricardo Tubbs in Miami Vice. Uh, Tubbs was a cop from New York City, smooth cop from New York City, who traveled down to Miami to take revenge on the drug dealer who killed his brother. He doesn't, but bingo, bango, hey, Crockett, here's your new partner. Uh, they eventually get him, him being the notorious Calderon. Calderon, yeah. Bad, bad dude. Yeah. Bad hombre. Yeah. Apparently, he, uh, he, uh, Philip Michael Thomas... Uh, or uh, PMT termed the acronym EGOT, E-G-O-T, which means Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, which he assumed he would would all be in his future, and yet he failed to win any at this point. Give it time. Yeah. Uh, but I can say two are an oversight. One is obviously the Emmy. How the fuck did Tubbs not win an Emmy? He was he, he he was only nominated once, and it was for an after-school special. What the fuck? You could, sometimes you couldn't give Tubbs a single nom. Sometimes people are too good. Don Johnson got a nom. Edward Edward James almost got a nom and won. Uh, see, that's why I love. I wish I wish that he had almost won. <laughs> I guess almost did. Never mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But that's why I love Tubbs. He was like the Loggins of Miami Vice. He was like the, uh, uh, me playing Loggins of Miami Vice. Nevertheless, the other award he should have won was a Grammy for best song ever. Uh, fish and chips? Come on. The man is hungry for some lovin'. Mm -hmm. it's, got, it's got what I'm guessing is a lindrum because of that thump. But maybe not. Who knows? I'm an idiot. Either way, listen to that beat. It's complex like the man himself. That voice, that knowledge of the menu... This has got to be the greatest love song ever put the wax. He isn't some loser looking for a heartbeat. He's got that. He wants it all. Because he's, he's a man and he's awesome and fish and chips just won't do. By the way, Philip Michael Thomas wrote every inch of this. You better believe that. And it was released on Spaceship Records. The end. Good timing. I win. Um, all right, you two. Are you ready? Go yeah. at it. 
You know why that groove is so complex? Is because it's a reggae producer desperately trying to drown out the vocalist. Well, the, there's, the, so, there's tubs, so much, there's so much percussion in there. There's so much percussion in there because thing. he's trying to... Like you can barely hear Philip Michael Thomas singing over that groove. I heard him for a reason, yeah, and there's not really a here? melody there. So can you sing me the melody of Fish and Chips? I want something special. Oh, that's gonna stick with me. What? How about you? Guys? I mean, I fully support the idea for a love song called Fish and Chips. The execution's not there because yeah, it's great. and that's why. That's why you can find on YouTube a video of Questlove from The Roots trying to sample a Philip Michael Thomas tra- song from that album because he's challenging himself to make a beat out of something unusable. Uh, Heartbeat was was popular, but it's one song over and over, and it's really not that good when you listen to it. Fun song, though. Um, I didn't like that Philip Michael Thomas song. I loved your arguments for it, I gotta say, but uh, it irritated me after a while. I'm really? Not, I'm not a fan of reggae. I am a fan of cheesy rock ballads, and I uh, can't get heartbeat out of my head, so my vote goes to Diggity Don. Man, I am opposite of you, JD, even though um, a Hunter's, I think, argument was better. And it was definitely I, quieter. Yeah, my ears were ringing after Steve's argument. But what it comes down to for me, my uncle played golf with Don Johnson, said he was a real fucking asshole. <laughs> my cousin, or my wife's cousin's husband, was a Miami cop who was in a couple episodes of Miami Vice, said Don Johnson's a total asshole. And ultimately, I've been grooving to that Philip Michael Thomas song all goddamn day, so I gotta go with that one. You know, that song got uh, Philip Michael Thomas 11 kids. <laughs> Wow. Jeez. Yeah. That makes it. You the fish and chips guy? Can I marry you? Can I have a bunch of kids with you? Oh, I don't think they had No, they just, the oh. marriage didn't. Oh, okay. Maybe the promise of marriage or the allure. Just 11 women lined up. Going, that's the carrot. Fish and he, chips guy? The yeah. carrot he dangled. Uh, so we need Brousseau. We got a tie. I, I, I know you guys have your own metrics for measuring these <laughs> things, but for me, that Barbara Streisand joke is what sold it. <laughs> Don Johnson wins this one. Oh my God! Yes, undefeated. Well, don't rub it in. It's a it's a dumb random thing that we're doing here today, and it was fun. That's exactly why you should rub it in. I mean, I I thought the only argument was that that fish and chips might might not be the greatest song we've ever played on this podcast. I mean, is is there a song we can go out on? Is there some famous actor who sings good that we didn't talk about yet? That can we can I can dig up the song real fast. Or we can keep it quiet. Or we can we, listen uh, to more Tom Petty. Yeah, let's play uh, oh, Traveling about, Wilburys uh, End of the Line. Or, uh, it's a nice one to go out Lee on. Majors, Unknown Stuntman. He's got to find it on Spotify. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Oh, God, the Wilburys are so good. You remember when we did the Petty Off at, uh, was it Boardwalk 11? Oh, yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah. Everybody all, everybody in our group of friends signed up for Petty songs. Yeah, I did yeah. Traveling Wilburys. I think with you, Hunter. No, I don't know. I, I did a song with with my wife. Maybe it was Shaq. Maybe. Um, what didn't make what didn't make the the, the list, Dave? Our uh, car- our best karaoke performances. Yeah. We could we could have had a death mask amongst ourselves. That's true. Uh, Next time, uh, I, I wrote down American Idol. Yeah, which is another karaoke contest for yeah. those desperate to be famous. And guess what? Steve's not going to win that one. Yep. Nope. Hey, uh, <laughs> that's why I gotta gotta win this one. I hey. describe American Idol as pumping shit into a septic tank that's already overflowing. 
You, you know what? I think it's going to be interesting to see how the uh, the people at home judge these songs. Yeah, so de- definitely like write us on Twitter at Yacht Rock and let us know what you thought of our arguments and how we did and Ma- if you would have chosen differently. Maybe uh, maybe we can do like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame about how they uh, they uh, give the fans a vote. Yeah. One, and then they just don't they don't they just throw it away at yeah, the end. Of the it day. doesn't really matter. Um, hey, thanks again to Jeff Selby for sending in the doo doo. I commission. Thanks for following through with my orders and making those happen. He turned them around very quickly, and they're very, very good. Check out uh, Jeff's voice work and audio production at jeffselbyvoice.com. I think that was his voice in the bumper, so listen again, people hiring voice guys. He's the best. Um, hey, hey, find now you won't find this on, by following me on Spotify. We had a rip all home off YouTube. You won't find these songs on Spotify. Maybe one or two of them. Go to YachtRock.com for a very useful experience. Go to YachtOnYacht.com. Take a look at the Yachtsky scale. Uh, find out what the average of that thick of the night was. Somebody will add it up. <laughs> um, we should thank uh, Jeremy Cargill, who's been putting together all the Apple playlists for us and doing a bang-up job. Okay. Sounds good. I just did. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. He's a guy to follow. What's his name? Jeremy Nobody Esquire. Okay. Uh, <laughs> send questions via Twitter at YachtRock. Uh, say you like Yacht Rock on Facebook, follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help us pick up heat. Please take the time to data write us a review. Uh, theme by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Matt Brusso and, and judge. Yeah. President of the Senate, Matt Brusso, mm-hmm. tie-breaking guy. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was right three quarters of the time. Yeah. That's pretty good. I'd also like to give out a uh, shout-out to Lane Farnham. He knows why. Okay. And uh, thanks to the entire Fair Audio family. Check out all the Fair Audio podcasts at fairaudio.com. And, oh, next time, I'm in the captain's seat with uh, a genre I call Musex. It's it's mu- it's music. It's songs that use music as a metaphor for banging. So, so songs. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like things that use specific musical terms and musical instruments. As but, oh, like flutter tonguing. If there was a song called Flutter Tonguing. Right, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Love that flutter tonguing. Yeah, that would be on the list. So you, look for that next week. You know what I forgot to mention um, while Steve was filibustering our final uh, argument? Philip Michael Thomas did his album before Don Johnson. Yeah. Don Johnson was trying to catch Philip Michael Thomas' star. Hunter, you lost. I know it's fine. I just, let's, let's I, just I wanted to say that. It's for Philip Michael yeah, Thomas. Let's go got, home. The guy's right. bummed. Everybody turn this podcast off. Go listen to Pod Save America. Yeah. I'm going to Verdugo. It's a friend's birthday.